fitness instructors. I do. I do. Except for Dennis Morton who on Peloton, who I freaking love. I'm more talking about how much I hate male fitness instructors in person, in like real life exercise classes. And here is why. They do not seem to understand or give a shit about the limitations of my 43-year-old multiple postpartum body which mostly have to do with the fact that if I do certain jumping things, I will pee in their gym. I'll just pee. I can't control it. There's nothing I can do. And these instructors are like, hey, do the jumping jacks, jump up on this block. And I'm like, do you want pee all over everything? And then they give me this look like, why would you pee? That's disgusting. And then they give me a fist bump. They're always fist bumping too. I don't want to fist bump anyone. I'm not a 12-year-old boy at the fucking mall. Don't fist bump me, okay? That recording was me in an actual workout class. Getting fist bumped over and over again because this past month was January and January is the month of renewal and re-going to the gym for a lot of people. It is also the month that I like to call attack of the fitfluencers. Yeah, yeah. This is a month where we get super targeted by brands, by influencers who want to sell you their courses, their classes that allegedly change your body. And they pay a lot of money to Instagram to make that happen. For the entire month of January, because for some reason we see this as a month of of change, you are legitimately being attacked by the fitfluencing industrial complex. You are. You are. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the fitfluencing world on Instagram. There's some great things that we can find on Instagram about moving our bodies. And I love moving my body. Moving my body is a game changer for me. It gets rid of my anxiety. It just, it's something that I have to do for me. I have to, and I've realized that and I do it, which is why I go to that gym class and get fist bumped by that fucking guy all the time. Anyway, anyway... I wanted to call up an expert on this to make sure that I'm right. Like, are we really being targeted more in the beginning of a year by by these people? Are they really trying to take more of our money and our time in the month of January? Which I know has passed, but we had so much, so much great content. And also I wanted to get through January, you know, before we talked about this. So I called up my friend, Amy Schoenthal. Amy has been working in influencer marketing since the early days of online influence. She is also the author of the new book, The Setback Cycle, How Defining Moments Can Move Us Forward. She's also a journalist and also just a badass lady in the world. I love her. 
I love her. Now, Amy knows very well how influencer marketing works because she used to be doing it. And so I called her up to be like, hey, we're getting uber marketed to in January, right? Like these fitfluencers and these brands that do fitness are in my face and are in my face all the time. I'm not imagining it, right? I'm a marketing consultant who has been working in influencer marketing since the early days of online influence. I want to preface this with the fact that I am not any sort of expert on health, wellness, fitness, diet, exercise, or anything along those lines. But what I am expert in is how people set goals, achieve goals, and what they do along that journey, especially when they're unexpectedly bumped backwards, aka when they have to work through an inevitable yet unanticipated setback. Setting new fitness goals or going on a wellness or fitness or weight loss journey is a journey rife with setbacks. Right now it is January 2024, and if you are a person with social media, you are likely being inundated with all the fitness and influencer marketing that encourages us to, you know, become the best versions of ourselves. And for many women, that best version, I'm doing air quotes, equates to better health, better fitness, and let's just say it, being thin, right? I keep thinking of, um, I keep thinking of America Ferreira's quote in the Barbie movie when she says, you have to be thin, but not too thin, and you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin, right? We all related to that, and I think especially in January, we are all in that push and pull. It kind of brings up all these vulnerabilities and insecurities of all the times that maybe you've attempted some sort of fitness journey in the past and the setbacks that you endured then. So we all start the year out motivated, but then that motivation inevitably wanes. So maybe last year you set a habit that you didn't keep up or you saw the number on the scale that you didn't like, or maybe you had an injury and it felt too overwhelming to start moving your body again after you started to recover from that injury. No matter what happened, it's like maybe you're too afraid to try again, right? That happens to a lot of us. And marketers and influencers know that. We're all feeling this pressure to reset in some way and maybe you know, start on those fitness journeys that we've long given up on. So I looked at Google Trends today in anticipation of this interview. And if you look at the past 90 days of search trends, lose weight is at an all-time high, fitness, exercise, they all, these search terms all peak on January 2nd. Huge surprise, right? But there's like this plateau from October to January, and then it spikes on the second. And that, you know, this is what people are searching. And so this is very indicative of what people are craving and what they're trying to do in terms of their bodies, their habits, and that reset, right? They're trying to drive up motivation for exercise, weight loss, health, fitness, all these things. And a deep understanding of consumers' motivations is paramount to a successful marketing campaign. As marketers, we always say, we need to meet people where they are and we need to seamlessly integrate our message into their feeds and create, I'm doing air quotes again, thumb-stopping content. 
We love saying thumb-stopping content as marketers. So now that marketers know what you're looking for, they're bidding on these health and wellness search terms in the hopes that their ad or their influencer campaign will end up in your feed because they know that's what you're looking for. That's how the platforms make money. That's how advertisers spend money in hopes that people are going to buy their products, especially during these moments of vulnerability. And so for products like weight loss supplements, you know, exercise subscriptions, fitness routines, exercise equipment, gym memberships, obviously, this is their Super Bowl. I mean, literally, their Super Bowl. We're probably more receptive to this marketing right now than at any other point during the year. That's a great way of putting it, right? This is their Super Bowl. They're going to sell you as much as they can right now during this time of the year. They're going to sell you as much as they can right now when they know that you're really vulnerable. So this is when you're going to get all of those ads for sign up for this fitness course or buy the mirror or buy these free weights or buy these ankle weights that you strap to your ankles and you wear while you're walking your kids to drop off. I've got those. Yeah, I totally got tricked into buying them on Instagram because we're all susceptible to this. But it's also nothing new. The way that we're being targeted on social media is new, and I do think that it is a lot more offensive in a way and also a lot more effective because we're getting it on this little screen that lives in our pockets all the time and a lot of these fitness influencers do kind of feel like they're our friends, even though we don't fucking know them. That said, as women, we have been getting these marketing messages about our bodies for so long. I mean, since the beginning of marketing messages. And I want to bring on an expert to talk to us about that. Danielle Friedman wrote the incredible book, Let's Get Physical, which talks about the history of the physical fitness industry. She's also a writer for the New York Times who's done stories on the good sides and the bad sides of fitfluencers. So we're going to talk to Danielle when we get back from a quick break. Okay, before I do the ads, I'm just going to do a quick and dirty, quick, the quickest and the dirtiest plug for The Sicilian Inheritance. This is the best novel I've ever written. People who've read it keep saying things like, this is going to be the book of the summer. And I, I think it might be. I, I want to say that because it is so much fun. It is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set in Sicily with delicious food, gorgeous landscapes, and some not-so-gross sex. I mean, it's not, it's not like fairy sex or dragon sex like you get in some other books, but like, it's just good, normal, this is kind of a turn-on sex. So grab your copy of The Sicilian Inheritance today when you order it and let me know that you ordered it by sending a receipt to me, I give you a free lifetime subscription, this is a forever thing, to our newsletter, Over the Influence, which I think is a lot of fun. It has all of the behind-the-scenes stuff from this podcast and so much more. So that is my marketing monster plug for today. Pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance. You're not going to regret it. You're going to love it. And maybe I'll show up at your door with a cannoli.
we're back with New York Times contributor and author Danielle Friedman. Danielle wrote the book Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. And she also knows a lot about fitfluencers. The amazing Anne Helen Peterson called Let's Get Physical incisive and curious and readable and fun. Those are four things that I want in a book. And Danielle is great. I feel so lucky to have her on today to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the fitfluencing world. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So today we are talking about something, and I've been meaning to have you on for all of January, and now I think January is over, but whatever. What is time? What is time? But I know that I have been thoroughly attacked online by by fitfluencers, by companies who who want to sell me nutrition supplements, who by by people that want me to to work out, to crunch or crush to crush my core. And mm. I feel like January is a time when social media really nails us with these fitfluencers. And you are an expert in this world, and I wanted to get all of your thoughts on this. I have many, <laughs> so many thoughts. Bring, bring them on, bring them on. Just, just, just go, and then I'll dive in with questions. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you're right, of course, about January. And it is interesting. I've done a little bit of research into kind of the history of New Year's resolutions and, and how January and the New Year even became this, this time when we're kind of programmed and um, encouraged to reset. And, you know, there is there are some interesting insights, um, is like having to do with the fact that we do respond well to these um, moments that feel like a natural kind of reset. You know, even there's there's only 24 hours between December 31st and January 1st, but it, mentally, psychologically, it can be beneficial for making a change. Um, so, right. And, but, and, but it's but it's also so funny that those 24 hours, it's like, let's party hard until midnight. <laughs> I know. And now know. and now I'm That's on a cleanse. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of the marketing around, um, you know, healthy living in January is about kind of um, uh, doing penance for however you behaved in December. Um, there's a definite kind of punitive <laughs> uh, tone to it. But yeah, so it's prime time for anyone who kind of peddles in selling the fantasy of a whole new you. Um, it's when they when they thrive um, and probably when we're most, you know, one of the periods when we're most vulnerable um, to that kind of messaging as well. Um, so. As far as fitfluencers, um, it is hard to know where to start. Um, right. Well, all right. Well, let's start. Tell me what a fitfluencer is. It's such a funny word. Yeah. I mean, and it's a really broad, amorphous definition. Um, basically, a fitfluencer is any social media influencer who posts, shares any kind of fitness related content. Um, that's kind of how it's defined, at least in the academic literature. Um, so, there are people who call themselves fitfluencers when actually like only, you know, a fifth of what they post has to do with fitness or exercise. But it's broadly defined as anyone 
um, you know, anyone on social media with a with a large following um, who talks about fitness exercise um, shaping your body. Like you said, it is broad. It is a broad definition. Now, you yes. did a story. You you do so many great stories for the Times, and you did one on the negative impacts of fitfluencers. I want to hear what some of those are. There had been a new study that came out last year that um, basically suggested that two-thirds of the 100 most popular fitfluencers um, you know, either either posted inaccurate advice, mis misinformation, or messages that could negatively impact people's mental or physical health. Um, so basically, you know, the headline on that story was that most influencers do more harm than good. Um, and, you know, the purpose of that piece, I looked at the study, I looked at some of the research around the impact, the influence that fitness influencers are having. And then also looked at how we can navigate um, this world, you know, in a way that actually benefits our mental and physical health. Um, and I will say, I mean, there's um, it's not all negative. You know, I sometimes with this topic, I have to kind of be intentional about finding the accounts that are potentially toxic because I've I really have made kind of a conscious effort to create my own social media bubble of of fitness influencers who are doing more good than harm, you know, and who are really helping to kind of undo all of the the negative programming. But um, so it's fitness influencers who um, have the potential to have a negative impact. Some of it's really obvious, like before and after photos. Before and after photos, let's be honest, do you think that a lot of them are photoshopped? Yeah, yeah. I think either photoshopped or, you know, I'm sure you've seen there are or angles. Angles. I could make I could I could make my I could make my smushy mommy belly look good with an angle and no photoshop. Exactly. Exactly. It's so much as smoke and mirrors. Um but any account that really focuses more on how the body looks than what it does um, deserves a red flag. Research has shown that when we're exposed to images or media that focus on the aesthetics of a body, um, it tends to affect our own body image and self-perception negatively. And even when it doesn't, even if we're, you know, if we're sort of comparing ourselves positively to the image that we see, it still encourages self-objectification and comparison in a way that's just kind of icky and not beneficial for our long-term health. Right, right. It's not. This is nothing new. This has been happening since the beginning of media. When I worked in trashy tabloid magazines, our best-selling issues were always the oh my God, this celebrity dropped 30 pounds with a before and after picture on the cover. And this is how she, because it was always a lady, this is how she did it. Mm -hmm. Always. And for I know for People Magazine, uh, because one of my best friends was the editor-in-chief for a long time, mm -hmm. that annual weight loss issue was yeah. also such a huge moneymaker and like eyeball grabber for them. The half their size. Yeah. Half their size. Half, well. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very enticing promise. I think this idea that, you know, our physical appearance um, is in our control, that by doing like these three things in 12 weeks, we're going to look totally differently. And by looking differently, we're going to be more, you know, deserving of love and happier. Um, and all of these things that aren't going right in our life will suddenly fall into place. We just, we're really susceptible to that, I think. As a culture, especially as women, we've been sold that promise for a really long time. And, you know, I um, I recently wrote a book about the history of women's fitness culture. And I, you know, tried to trace kind of how the origins of, of some of that messaging in the fitness world specifically. So, um, you know, I don't think we can blame ourselves for wanting to believe that sort of a whole new life um, is within our grasp, but we also have to ask ourselves, like, you know, of course, why do we believe that being, you know, half your size or dropping 30 pounds is going to, um, is going to transform your life for the better? And, and, and where do all of, you know, these stigmas that we have about our current bodies come from? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You did so much research in Let's Get Physical. What did you learn about the history of physical fitness of about where these stigmas do come from. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um so my book starts in the 1950s, which is kind of when the contemporary fitness industry really started to take off. Um and for women especially in those days, um you know, it was the post-World War II era, gender norms were really strictly enforced after women had taken men's place, you know, in the workplace and factory floors. There was this um, cultural fear that, that men no longer had a place in society. So all of a sudden, you know, it was, oh. it was yeah. <laughs> How sad. And, How sad for them. I know. I know. So women went back to the kitchen and, um, and, you know, to a large extent, the way that these norms were sort of interpreted um, at least on one level, was that masculinity meant strength and power and femininity meant weakness. You know, this idea, that, which is as old as time, that women are the weaker sex. Um, so when you look at that, that sort of that landscape, um, the notion that a woman would would proactively seek out physical strength, you know, lift weights, train mm -hmm. for a marathon, um, was completely absurd. Uh, and so there had always been kind of exercise marketed toward women that was about, you know, holding on to your honeymoon figure, being more graceful, being lovely, um, but never about vigor or strength or power. And so from those early days, the, the often like quite pioneering female fitness evangelists they couched their messages, which were about, you know, cultivating muscle and encouraging women that it was beneficial to, you know, it was not only worthwhile, but beneficial to kind of do push-ups. But they couched their messages in the language of beauty culture. And it was like, mm -hmm. yes, working your body will make you feel stronger and will make you, you know, will make you healthy. Um, but but more importantly, it will also make you more attractive to the men in your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of, in the book, I talk about it as like broccoli dipped in chocolate because 
you know, selling strength for strength's sake would have been dead on arrival. So that messaging was um, intertwined with Fitness for Women from the very beginning. And then a really interesting and kind of depressing thing happened as as fitness, as moving your body in a in a vigorous and strenuous way became more um, accepted for women and acceptable for women, uh, the body standards inched further and further out of reach. Like it became also more mm-hmm. respected, you know. So whereas in the '60s it was it was there was such a focus on being thin, you know, there was the Twiggy ideal and aesthetic. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As fitness culture took off. It wasn't enough to just be thin. You then also needed to be thin and toned. And then as, you know, weightlifting became more normalized, it was then you needed to have, you know, bodies of steel, zero Mm -hmm. body fat. And Mm -hmm. like even Jane Fonda struggled to look like Jane Fonda. You know, she was this ideal for so many millions of women, but she, you know, very famously, she she was at war with her body. She had an eating disorder, you know. So um, she's talked. She's talked about this so much now. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, this was she was this ideal in the eighties. I remember doing the Jane Fonda videos mm-hmm. with my mom. I also did the Sweat into the Oldies videos. Yes, with my yeah. mom and like you know, I actually I wish I I should probably look them up on YouTube because I think my kids would really enjoy doing them with yes, me yes. now. Like they were they were just ridiculous, is what they were. Yes, but, yes. And I do want to say here that we're not saying. Any one kind of body is better. Like when I say, right. oh, the Twiggy ideal, I'm not saying, oh, my God, it's terrible, terrible to be thin. I, what I'm trying to say is that it's terrible for anyone to tell you that your body is not the right kind of body. Uh, when when we talked about when I talked about Ballerina Farm, I had a lot of people saying, oh, my gosh, you're thin shaming her. And I was like, that, no, that's that's not what I'm doing. What I'm right. what I'm trying to say is that I don't think anyone should put forth any kind of ideal for a kind of body or what a body should look like. Exactly. And, you know, exercise and movement, um, as as we all know now, brings so many very real benefits um, for women, especially, you know, for mental health, emotional health. But when we are focused on moving to lose weight or to meet a certain ideal that, you know, uh, is is out of reach for us, and we feel shame and guilt and pressure, it counteracts so many of the positive mental and emotional effects of moving. You know, all of the feel-good hormones that are released, feel-good chemicals, um, can be blunted when we're exercising out of, um, you know, from a place that's either kind of punitive, like I have to do this or I have to do this because I, you know, to either burn off whatever I ate or to look a certain way, um, or because we feel like we should. So mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. motivation for moving really does matter. Right, exactly. And those are the fitfluencing accounts that I do find the most dangerous. The ones that say, do this to look a certain way. And not because, hey, moving your body is fucking great. Like moving your body is good yes. for your body. It's good for your mental health. And so, yes, the ones that are punitive, that's I, I think they're really dangerous. I genuinely do. But there's a lot that aren't. There are a lot of accounts on Instagram. Again, I like to see the good side and the bad side and Absolutely. everything in between. There are a lot of accounts that are just encouraging you to move your damn body. 
and I like those. And, and, and I know you like some of the, I know you like those too. What are some that you curate for yourself that you follow? Yes. Yes, there is. I, you know, and I almost feel like I'm sort of the exception, but there, I really feel strongly and I like to make the case as often as I can that, um, that Instagram and social media has done so much good when it comes to making fitness more inclusive and accessible. So it's, you know, it's both. It's both, of course. Um, I, so I do try to follow accounts that focus on, you know, functional fitness, on moving to feel good, accounts that showcase a really wide array, array of um, ages, body type, mm -hmm. backgrounds, um, also accounts that sort of directly uh try to, you know, sort of um, debunk what some of the more negative accounts are doing. I can tell you some specific accounts I follow as well and that I, you know, oh, yeah, I like. love it. Freaking tell, freaking tell us. I mean, I always I think, you know, all content is hard to find from books yeah. to podcasts to Instagram accounts and suggestions bring me so much joy. Um, Same, same. It's I mean, and these are there. Are, thankfully, there are. Um, many, many, um, you know, I mean, body positive or body neutral accounts that um, that are out there. And once you start following, you know, some of these, like obviously the algorithm will be more likely to serve you up more of the same. There is a social worker uh, who is also a therapist named Stephanie Roth Goldberg. Um, and I've actually interviewed her for several stories. Um, I think her handle is is embodied psychotherapist. And um, she is, she works with athletes. She works with some fitfluencers. Um, mm -hmm. And she specializes in basically working with clients who um, are trying to disentangle their, their interest in movement and fitness and sports from um, diet culture and, and disordered eating. Um, so she's just terrific. And she posts a lot of, I find really helpful, you know, evidence-based content um, about moving, you know, for joy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, I love uh, that. And also, you know, and this is a good point to bring up, which you just mentioned. The algorithm is trying to get you. So if you start following a lot of these accounts that are before and afters, again, most of which yes. I think are all smoke and mirrors, you're going to get more, more before and afters. If you follow accounts that are, here's how to move your body for joy, that's probably what you're going to get. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Kelly Roberts, uh, who I quote in the fitness influencers piece in the Times, um, she's the founder of this running club called the Badass Lady Gang. And Ooh. she's hey, hilarious girls. Love that. and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, I'm just, I'm such a big fan of hers. Um, so especially if you're interested in running, uh, she's a great person to follow. Latoya Shante Snell, um, who is a, an activist for size inclusivity, um, body inclusivity, and also in running. Um, uh, there's an account, Brooklyn Strength, uh, Cadence Debuse is her name, and um, mm. she she is a, a personal trainer, a Pilates teacher, and also just just really smart posts um, 
a lot of good content around around you know training yourself to kind of figure out how to move in a way that really that genuinely feels good and feels sustainable and is not about kind of meeting these external pressures. Um, and then I just have to add that I personally find Celeste Barber's stuff like so. Oh, uh, yes. You know, just like the, the, you can't, you know, humor cannot be um, overrated. It's like it's there's I I, I love it. Well, so you know, all right. So I'm let's manifest something because I am dying yeah. to have Celeste Barber on this podcast for yes. our audience. Right. I mean, like I'll fly to Australia for that bitch. Uh, for our for our audience who doesn't know her, can you describe Celeste Barber's account? Yes. Okay. So she's an Australian comedian, um, and her the way that she kind of my understanding is the way she kind of rose to massive fame is she, people will will send her these clips. I don't even know like where these clips come from, but of models. Um, that represent the most extreme and unattainable beauty ideals, like dancing or doing like doing physical actions um, that are usually like meant to be like very like basically like a striptease kind of. And then she uh, like attempts to reenact it. Um, there's a lot. It's a lot of really physical comedy, a lot of like uh, swishing yourself into bikinis. And just, she's just, um, the way that she's like satirizing it and, and, um, you know, revealing how ridiculous it is, is for, for all of us women who, um, don't look like. <laughs> the, the, we, we, yes. For all of us women who don't look like that. I mean, she's, yeah. yes. She squeezes herself into these ridiculous bikinis. She like. Yeah. <laughs> my, one of my favorite ones she's like in a bikini riding a dirt bike because some supermodel yes. is in a in like a g-string riding yeah. a motorcycle and she's just yeah, yeah celeste, celeste barber for the win if you don't follow her what have you been doing with your life she will bring you so Agreed. much joy yes yes she's like a it, a perennial palate cleanser if you're ever feeling a perennial palate cleanser <laughs> exactly exactly um those are actually my only questions. I'm so happy that we had you on. Tell everyone where they can find you on the social media. Yeah, I am on Instagram at Danielle Friedman Writes. Um, I'm also on Threads under the same handle. This is the first time I've actually like promoted my Threads account, but you can find me there. Um, yeah, I'm and- on the Threads. I'm on the Threads too, but I don't know how to use it. Yes, yeah, I know. Same. I know that it's like Twitter. I just don't do it. Yeah, yeah, agree. I know it's it's one of my intentions for the new year to try to figure it out. Uh-huh. Um, and um, yeah, and I contribute regularly to the New York Times Well section, so you can look for my articles there every couple weeks. And your book is great. Tell everyone to buy your book because oh, all, all, you. all I do is tell people to buy the Sicilian Inheritance and pre-order <laughs> it right now because I am a marketing monster. Um, you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. So my book is Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. It is available in hardcover, paperback, audiobook, Kindle, and tells the uh, the inside story of how fitness culture was born in this country. I love it. And I love you. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. This has been so much fun. 
that is all that we've got for today. Fist bump. Giving you a virtual fist bump right now. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being here with me. I love recording this podcast. It is literally the highlight of my week, and I appreciate all of you so much. So many of you have written me and DM'd me. You tell me ideas that you have for this show, which I'm reporting all of them right now. You tell me when you ordered The Sicilian Inheritance, which I appreciate, and I add you to the Substack immediately, or at least as soon as I get my kids to bed. And sometimes you just send me notes that say, hey, love you, love your stuff. And that is nice, because we should tell each other way more often that we like each other, that we appreciate one another. So first off, after listening to this, go do something nice for yourself. But then also, maybe call up a friend and just say, you're doing great. You are doing amazing. It's going to change her whole day. I promise. Talk to you soon. Bye.